So today this message is about marriage. And if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Ephesians 4.25. But we're going to start in a couple other verses before that. But last week, we saw the process. Pastor Joey talked about singleness and dating and how singleness is a gift. So if you're single, it's a gift. And that there are seasons. And marriage is a season as well for all of us. It's a season. And that season that we call marriage is the beginning of love designed by God. God created marriage. And in Genesis 2.24, it says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The man and woman are united They're united in matrimony, and it's holy matrimony because that's what it is. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage was created by God as a spiritual union. And God considers marriage to be an agreement between a husband and a wife as well as a commitment between the couple and himself. It's a commitment between the couple and God. He expects us to dedicate ourselves to our relationship, and to recognize the responsibilities and the duties and the loyalties both to our spouse and to God. It's not simply a contract or a piece of paper. United becoming one flesh is a physically, emotionally, spiritual building a life together as one flesh. United in our battle against the enemy and united in our direction as we follow Christ. As we build this life together, we have to have a plan. When we build something, we have to have a plan, don't we? We do. And God has a perfect plan for our marriage. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he's also the creator of marriage. So what do we do when we want information or guidance from an expert? We go to the expert. When we go for cooking, who would you go to for cooking, right? Julia Childs? Somebody like that? That's who we would go to. We would go to an expert when it comes to to cooking. So when it comes to our marriage, we go to God. God never creates anything to fail or to hurt us. He's the creator or he's the manufacturer of that. And when we look to build something, like if we ever build a shelf, there's always directions, instructions for building, right? Guys, I'm talking to you right now. See, these are instructions. Okay, when we build something, but really all these instructions are, you know what they are? And I'm not talking to the women because my wife reads instructions, but for the guys, all this is, is the manufacturer's suggested way to put it together. That's what this is. Yes. Well, I use, I use the instructions at the end as a way to identify the parts I didn't use. So I know what they are. That's what that is. But a lot of times we want to do marriage our way, don't we? Do we have any Sinatra fans out there? I did it. You don't want to hear me sing, but I did it my way. And when we do marriage our way, it it doesn't always work out well for us. It's not the best, but God's way is right here in his word. In his word is the best. This, the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's what it is. And we need to make sure that we live by his words. In Psalms 127, verse 1, it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders will labor in 
vain. God has a plan for building our marriage, and that plan is putting God first. God has to be first in our marriage. He is the foundation on which we build on. Remember, it's the vertical, this vertical before the horizontal. When our relationship with God is right, every relationship that we have will be better. We have to put God first. In Matthew 6.33, it says this, but seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. With God first in our relationship, our other relationships and our marriage will flourish and produce fruit. Remember, marriage is about three. It's not just about the man and the woman. It's about God being the center of that relationship. And we're going to look at biblical principles today about on the foundation of building a great marriage. But we need God's help. And if you're not married today, these principles will apply to other relationships that you might have as well. But we need to depend on God for everything. When it comes to our marriage, we need that. However, marriage is like a building process. It's like building a house. The foundation, the walls, and then the roof. We need good direction and we need good plans. How many of you have ever built a house? Anybody ever built a house? And if you're married and you go through that process and you survive it, praise the Lord, right? Because it can be a very stressful time. But what we do when we build a house, we had to find a builder. And then we had to have a plan. But the number one thing with your builder was you had to trust that builder, right? You have to trust that builder that what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. And our builder is God. Our builder is God, and we have to trust him. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. We have to put our trust in the Lord when it comes to building our marriages and everything in our lives. God's desire is to be an integral part of the building process of your relationship. Simply put, God needs to be the center of your life and, your founda- and the foundation of your marriage. In Matthew 7, 24, it says this, very simply, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We need to build our foundation on Christ, the rock that won't move The first point is build your marriage on the foundation of Christ and trust God's perfect plan. When we build our foundation on Christ, that rock that won't move, we will be so much better off. In Proverbs 16, 3, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. So if you have your Bibles, we should be in Ephesians 4, verse 25. And it says this, therefore putting away lying Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speaking the truth is so very important for unity. Marriage is about being united as one. Relationships are built on trust, and truth produces trust over time. 
We're to submit to each other in our marriages and we're to have that unity and that oneness, trusting each other in everything that we do. And our spouse is our best friend. Our spouse is our best friend in life. So we need to build a foundation of trust. We've not all had safe people in our lives, have we? Some of us have a hard time trusting people because we've been hurt. So many times we've been hurt from so many different people that we can't trust. And some people are afraid of marriage because they've had or seen bad experiences when it comes to marriage. But in Psalms 56.3 it says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, Lord. Trust God, lean on him. Remember, put him at the center of your marriage, the foundation, because there's three. Don't penalize your spouse because of the sins of others. Building trust is a daily commitment with your spouse. We need to be open and we need to be honest so we can build that trust. It's like being honest by not hiding our passwords. You know, this little device right here, it can be so divisive. Can it? We have passwords on these phones. I've had counseling sessions where they come in and go, my husband won't let me see his phone. He won't give me the password. Why? He's probably hiding something. And we can't hide things from our spouse. We need to be able to pick up that phone and hand it to him at any time and say, I'm open, I'm honest, I'm transparent, I'm open like a book, and you can see everything in my life to be transparent with your spouse. Now, we all have faults, and that's okay, because we're human. We're not perfect. And another thing, we have to give our spouses the opportunity to share their feelings, right? We have to give them the opportunity to share their feelings. And the reason we say that, and it's kind of like complaining, okay? It's kind of like complaining, but... You have to give your spouse the opportunity to complain without the thought of any retaliation. They have to be able to tell you how they're feeling and know that there's no retaliation coming back from that. And that will create trust. They have to be able to trust you. And I'm not talking about criticizing. Okay, there's a difference between complaining and showing your feel, telling someone how you feel and criticizing. It's kind of like baseball. Have you got any baseball fans? When the umpire, how many times when that, the manager runs out there and that umpire will stand there and he will take how much from them until what happens? Until he makes it personal and he either criticizes him or does something, then what happens? You're out of here. The same thing happens in our marriage. We can't be criticizing our spouse. It's okay to complain, and we have to be able to let our spouses complain, to share their feelings. That's the only way that we can do that. Letting them express those feelings, because honesty creates an atmosphere of trust. And parents, model that out for your kids. Allow them to tell, let them tell you their feelings. In Psalms 145.18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on in him in truth. Trust is built slowly over time, but it can be lost at the drop of a hat. 
It can be lost so quickly. The next thing, good marriages are built on good communication and positive words. Good communication and positive words. In Proverbs 18.20, it says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled with the harvest of their lips. They are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Communication is essential in everything that we do, and in a marriage is no different. When we look at communications, it's a blessing to look at our spouse and know that they come from a different background. And we need to be able to speak with them successfully. We need to be open and honest. No secrets in our lives and good boundaries. We're all uniquely made by the same creator. So by nature, we will all think differently and communicate differently. I want to make one thing clear. Men and women communicate differently, don't we? We communicate very differently. And honesty is the essential foundation of building unity and intimacy. Most of all, it builds trust. If we approach these differences as a blessing rather than a roadblock, then our lives, our relationships will be open and we will have a grace-filled life and marriage. Honest communication helps us in times of conflict. When we get upset and we get angry, if we've had open and honest communication with our spouse, it will stop that. In Ephesians 4.26, it says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give the devil a place. The next, the next point is, Build unity by resolving conflict quickly. Resolve your conflicts quickly. It's okay to be angry. We all get angry, don't we? It's okay to be angry. Jesus got angry. Remember when Jesus went into the temple with the money changers? He was angry. But it was a righteous anger. It was a righteous anger. And he did not sin. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, The high priest of ours understands our weakness and it is a weakness that we have. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He did not sin. Sin is from our sinful anger, is a result of our sin nature when things don't go our way. Does anybody get angry? I do. When things don't go my way, when what I want, I can get very angry. And that's the fruit of our selfish nature when we do that. How can we get angry and not sin? The best way is pray for the fruit of the Spirit, and that's self-control. To have self-control, to be walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Because conflicts are going to happen. They're going to happen to all of us. And we need to have self-control. So many times I'll talk to people and everything seems to be going really well. The conversation's good. And then all of a sudden, something takes a turn. And then afterwards, I go, what happened to you? Well, I couldn't help myself. I lost control. I didn't have self-control because we started walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And we need to have the Holy Spirit in us because conflicts are going to happen and we need to resolve them. Don't give the enemy a key to your house. Don't let him in. 
You know, I remember when we first got married and uh, we had these conversations and I'll tell you what, these conversations seemed like they lasted all night long. It was like we'd be talking about how many kids we're going to have and what we're going to do and it was just so amazing. And we've been, and I made this mistake the other night and Cindy corrected me. I said we were married 42 years. It's actually 43 years. And she told me it's going to be 44 years this year. So I apologize for that. But we used to have these long conversations, and they were so meaningful, and they meant so much. And now, today, they're very short. These conversations will go like, how was your day? Good. How was work? It was work. There's no meaningful conversations. Do any of you know what I mean when I'm talking like that? Do you have conversations like that as well? After years, those conversations just start to happen like that. You know, what about church talk? How many of you guys, you know what pew talk is? Like when you're coming in here and you're saying, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You guys know what the most told lie in church is? Anybody know? I'm fine. When somebody asks you how you're doing, oh, I'm fine. And we know they're not. We know they're not. But that lack of meaningful conversation over time will hurt your marriage. And it will cause problems. Not spending quality time together, being negative towards each other, being negative towards your spouse will be devastating to your relationship over time. And you will become angry. And when you have no or little meaningful communications, they can lead to conflict, anger, and then eventually they will lead to sin. You know, we did a marriage class a while back, and there were three types of communications, and I thought they were really good, so I wanted to share those with you. The first one was proactive communication. And it's talking before a fight starts to minimize disagreements. Isn't that good? Stop the conflict before it starts. Talk with each other. Have meaningful conversations. The second one is personal communications. A daily discussion of issues in your relationships about your life. Together, unity, a oneness. And the third one, intimate communication. Verbally and showing affection, dedicated time, being intentional each day to that conversation. Giving your spouse encouragement and affection. You know, Jesus was very intentional about all his relationships, wasn't he? Each and every one. And one of the things I want to talk about when it says showing affection, and I, I talk about this in the men's ministry, and the guys, they kind of like, what? They, they, you know, when we hug our spouses, and it's a non-sexual hug, right? And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't know. No, we hug our wives, we hug our spouse with the intention of showing affection. That's it. That oneness, that unity that we have from that. By encouraging them, by hugging them daily. It's a personal commitment not to go to sleep angry with each other each every night. And then what about when you do get angry? What about when you do get into conflict? You know, one of the things that we like to do 
is we like to say whoever's the most mature or the most spiritual at the time, they would stop and grab the other one's hand and pray together. And what you're doing when you're praying together like that is you're bringing God into that relationship at that time. When you're walking in the flesh and you're angry, you're bringing God into that relationship. Remember, it's about three. And I can tell you another thing, it is hard to be angry with somebody that you pray with. I can tell you that right now. It's hard to be angry with them when you're praying with them. And the Holy Spirit's filling both of you as you lift up that issue to God to let him handle it. The next point I like to make is building intimacy by meeting your need, the needs of your spouse and encouraging them. We need to serve each other. Shared control of decision-making. We make decisions after we talk to each other. We don't make them on our own. We serve one another humbly in love. Jesus showed the ultimate selflessness in laying down his life to set us free. We must always seek to imitate his selflessness by loving and serving our spouses and serving other people as well. You know, it can be as simple as taking out the trash. And I can say that from my experience. It is that simple. Just taking out the trash makes a big deal. Or cooking dinner. But sometimes we don't know what our spouses need because we don't ask them. We don't talk to them in that meaningful communication, so we need to ask them, see what it is they, their need is, and if we can meet them by talking with them. Remember, we're created to do good works unless our health doesn't allow us to do that. Don't be too busy to take care of the needs of your marriage because it is so important. Remember the words of Jesus, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So in your marriage, be the giver. Give to your spouse and receive the blessings that come from the Lord when your marriage is blessed. And Jesus gave more than ever we could think or imagine, didn't he? And now we're going to look at our job description in marriage. In Ephesians 5.21, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to our spouse. Sometimes we need a little extra incentive to remind us to be generous, don't we? Sometimes we need that reminder to be generous. But let me tell you, when you're generous, God will reward that. There's always reward for our compassion and our kindness. The kingdom of God is all about grace and generosity and his compassion from all of us. We've never been meant to do life alone. We need to love and care for other people, and especially our spouse. The intimacy that comes from when we face a trial together or your spouse has a burden and you're able to share that with them. We're called to carry our neighbor's burdens, each other's burdens. And next time your spouse is struggling under the weight of a burden, be sure to offer your time and your resources and your strength. Encourage them. Bless them with a hug. Meet their needs by encouraging them all the time. Build your spouse up with your words and not tear them down. Ephesians 5.33 says this, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, 
and his wife must respect her husband. How many of you have heard of the book Love and Respect? It's a great class. It's amazing because a man's greatest need is to have respect. And a woman's greatest need is to be loved. We have to show them that love. We have to build our spouse up with those words of encouragement. But when we don't love our wives, then they don't show us respect. And in that book, they call that the crazy cycle. And that crazy cycle will continue and continue, and it will not change. Because the opposite of love and respect is to neglect and to nag. So show your spouse's love and respect always. In Ephesians 4.15, it says that we are to speak the truth in love. And truth without love is brutal. And love without truth is meaningless. Relationships are built with our words, but they're also torn down with our words. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So how can we use our words to help? Don't be critical. Don't be negative. Don't be nitpicky. Speak encouraging words that bring life as they're needed. Listen is a big thing. Generalize problem solving together. When we listen, it's so huge. And I want to make something very clear when it comes to listening. Because as men, and I'm talking to the men, we listen, but when we listen, we listen with the intent that we can fix something. Because that's who we are, right? We're guys. We fix stuff. That's who we are. But what we need to do is we need to listen to our spouse with the intent of not responding or fixing anything. Because I can tell you right now, my wife, she doesn't want me to fix anything. Maybe fix dinner. That's different. But when she talks to me, she wants me to listen. I don't, she doesn't want me to fix it, but she wants me to listen with the intent of learning something about her. To be surprised about something that happened to her that day. And I can be that if I listen. So I want to encourage you. Listen. We don't have to fix anything. And if you want a little extra credit, um, YouTube is called It's Not About the Nail. I don't know how many of you have seen that. But if you want to look that up, it's a great little uh, video about listening, about how we're supposed to listen and not try to fix things. You know, the tongue... James says, no one can tame the tongue, but Jesus can. With the Holy Spirit in us, we can have that tongue under control. So we need to put Jesus first in our relationships. It's important to have that quiet time. It's important for us to pray together. And it's important to have those encouraging words throughout the day, those words of affirmation and that hug, just to show them how much you love them and how much you care for them. In Ephesians 4.30, it says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Treating people badly and our spouses badly will affect our relationship with God. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. So build joy by continually forgiving in your relationship. Forgiveness is so important. Hurt people hurt people, and forgiven people forgive people. Remember, our greatest need was the need to be forgiven, and God provided for us through Jesus Christ on the cross, right? And God will never ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. The importance of forgiveness is so huge because it starts the healing process, and it's the first step to rebuilding trust. We've all been hurt by someone, or you're going to be hurt by someone. But we don't have to live in that state of unforgiveness because of that hurt. God keeps no records of our wrongdoing. He doesn't look at all our sins and keep bringing them up. It's like throwing those sins into a sea of forgetfulness. And he chooses not to remember those sins for all of us. He expects us to do the same. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and it will affect all our relationships. And Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. There's a couple things forgiveness is not, and I want to talk about those. Forgiveness is not condoning or downplaying the actions that were done to you. It's hard to forget when it comes to forgiveness, when somebody's done something to us. Our brains are simply not built to forget. They're just not. While forgetting would be very easy, and it would certainly make forgiveness easier, we would be relying on ourselves to do that. But we need to rely on God, the one who can heal our broken hearts. We rely on him for that. And reconciliation takes two. Trusting. However, this is in diff entirely different situation. It's solely based on tangible evidence of change, right? In other words, trust is totally conditional. The condition is tangible evidence of repentance and transformation. We have to see that before we can do that. Trust is built over time. Another thing that's so important to know about trust is trust can only be repaired after forgiveness has taken place. In other words, it's impossible to trust someone when you haven't forgiven them. You can't start the trust process again if you haven't forgiven them, and we need to forgive them. Forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a choice that we all make. And steps to forgiveness, acknowledging the hurt. Remember that God forgave us first and then turn the matter over to God. You know, that's a tough one right there, turning it over to God. Because so many times people will come up and they'll say stuff and I'll ask them, have you turned that over to God? And they'll say, yes, I have. Well, then why are you still talking to me about it? If you've turned that over to God, truly turned it over to him, turn it over to him and let God be God. Let him do what he does. Time heals nothing. Unresolved hurts get worse. Life hurts. 
but God heals. God will heal us when we allow him to do that, when we turn it over to him. We serve a forgiving and merciful God. And the Bible says that God forgets our sins. And as we close, I'm going to invite the band back up. <clears throat> Some of us might need to make a decision on where we're at. Have we built our relationship, our marriage on the rock? Do we have the foundation of Jesus Christ first in our life? Are we trusting God's perfect plan for that? Are we building a foundation of trust, living open and honest lives? And good marriages are always built on communication and positive, encouraging words. Words that build us up and not tear us down. Are we resolving our conflicts quickly? And are we building intimacy by meeting the needs and encouraging our spouse? Be a giver, not a taker. Give to your spouse and receive the blessings from the Lord and have a continual joy in your forgiving. If you do those things, if you apply those into your life and into your marriage, the end result will be very simple. You'll be best friends, fulfilling God's purpose, and you'll enjoy life together. And for some of us today, we may not know Jesus Christ. We have never received that grace into our lives. And we've never put God first in our marriage. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to do that. To acknowledge that we're all sinners and that he died for us on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So will you pray with me? Father, we just want to lift our marriages up to you and our lives, putting you first, the center of everything we do, building our foundation on the rock, acknowledging that we're sinners and that we need you into our lives. Father, there's so many different things going on right now. Some of us may have backslidden and we had you at the center of our lives. We put you first and we've put other things there. There are so many different things that can come in this world and get in our way. And we've put them before you and we're coming back to you now, Father. We're making you the center of our life. And Father, for the ones who don't know you, that they would come to know about your saving grace. They would receive you today for the first time and follow you faithfully and obediently all the days of their lives. Father, we pray that we would come to know you in a more intimate way, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we would walk with you for the rest of our lives. Father, we love you and we welcome you into our marriages to heal us, to help us grow, to help us produce fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.